Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Patty. This week we join the Doctor, Romana and K9 as they find themselves caught between savants, Dion's, and doppelgangers in Meglas. As usual, we will be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story. So as always, you can join the discussion by checking us out at Time Team. That's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or alternatively, you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now, Paddy, as per usual, would you give us the summary, please? I will. Per usual. I like that. <laughs> it's just funny. Part one. In the TARDIS, the Doctor is finishing up his repairs of K-9 and tells Romana that they had better dematerialize in case he accidentally damages K-9 upon reactivation. He tells her to place the ship in orbit above the nearest planet and she says that there are two nearby, Tigella and Zalfathura. The Doctor remembers a previous trip to Tigella and suggests that they call in on an old acquaintance named Zastor, but Romana urges him to finish his repairs on K-9. Meanwhile, somewhere on Tigella, an alarm goes off in a complex when a group of workers work on a junction box that explodes. In the control centre of the complex, Zastor appears as the facility controller, Diedrix, orders the medical team to be dispatched to the area and the ventilation shafts be opened there as well. Zastor, who is the leader of Tagella, asks how their work is progressing, and Diedrix angrily states that the work wouldn't be so difficult if they were allowed access to the inner workings of the complex, where a mysterious power source called the Dodecahedron is. However, Zastor reminds them that they must respect the religious sanctity placed on the Dodecahedron by a group called the Dions. Diedrix, who is the leader of the savants, the scientific community of Tagella, says that the underground city that they all reside in is failing and their only options are to either access the Dodecahedron or attempt to reclaim the surface of the planet. Later, Zastor goes to the main temple of the Dions, where he is met by Lexa, the high priestess of the Order. He tells her to come to a meeting with the savants so that they can attempt to reach an agreement on accessing the Dodecahedron, but Lexa says that the savants are little more than willful children. Diedrich arrives and immediately he and Lexa are at odds with one another. Zastor says that they have left him with no choice and he sends a guard to summon the doctor, who has requested permission to visit. Zastor explains who the doctor is to the two incredulous leaders and says that his unique intelligence might be able to help them reach a compromise. Back on the TARDIS, the doctor finishes repairing K9 and Romana says that they will need him to help deal with the aggressive plant life that has taken over the surface of Tigella. However, when they do some tests on K9, he confuses the doctor with Romana. Back on Tigella, the Council of Savants and Dions argue back and forth. Diedrich says that the Dions are little more than superstitious zealots, and Zastor tells him to respect the old laws. Diedrich presses on and says that the Dodecahedron is not a gift from God, as the Dions believe, but is a scientific artifact, but admits to a smug Lexa that he doesn't know where it came from. The argument continues to heat up until Karis, Diedrich's second-in-command, says that the recent power failures have affected their food stocks, and that they will soon have no other choice but to reclaim the surface. On the sand-covered surface of Zalfathura, a group of fur-clad and armoured men disembark from a shuttle and enter a circle of five enormous screens. The leader, Grugger, and his lieutenant, Brotadak, expressed their distaste at having to come to the planet before ordering their men to bring their prisoner, a man who appears to be from 20th century Earth, forward. The man begins to panic and Brotadak uses the hyperspray to pacify him. Grugger then wonders why their employer, who is anonymous, would want him to bring a human to the planet. Suddenly the ground begins to shake and they see a hatchway open in the centre of the screen circle. A large structure emerges from the hatch and a door opens, which Brotelik says is a trap, but Grugger orders them all inside. Inside, they find themselves in a highly advanced computer room with a cactus-like plant in the middle. 
A voice then welcomes him and tells him not to be alarmed. Gregor asks who is speaking, and the voice says that he is Meglos, the last survivor of Salfathura. Gregor realizes that the voice is coming from the cactus, and Meglos commands him on his astuteness before saying that he has another job for him. He says that he wants Gregor and his men to transport him to Tigella, and once there, sneak into the underground city so that he can access the dodecahedron. Brotodak says it is too dangerous, and Meglos mocks his cowardice. He says that they can go, but orders Brotodak to return the equipment that he stole when he and the others first entered the room. Gregor wants to know more about the job, and Meglos reveals that the dodecahedron was created on Zalfathura. He says the Tigellans are only using a fraction of its true power, saying that at its max, it could power an entire galaxy. He then orders the human to be brought in, and he instructs Gregor on how to use a nearby machine, which sends Meglos and the human into two chambers side by side. However, once they're inside, Gregor sends for the rest of his men, as he tells Brotodak that they will strip the room of all available valuable pieces of equipment to resell on the black market. However, they notice that the automatic door has sealed itself, trapping them inside the room. Meglos announces that he expected them to double-cross him, and he gives them the choice of either carrying out his instructions or being locked in the room until they die. With no other choice, Gregor goes back to the machine and turns it on, and he and Brotodak watch as the cactus shrivels into a decayed clump, whilst the human skin turns green with cactus quills coming out of it. The human then speaks with Meglos's voice as he goes to a nearby computer and says that he has intercepted Zastor's message to the doctor, and he intends to intercept him. On the TARDIS, Romana manages to repair K9, and the Doctor tests him by asking about Salvatore, and K9 responds that it is a barren world due to a global war. However, just as he finishes speaking, the scene replays itself again, and the Doctor and Romana sense that they are in a time loop. Unbeknownst to them, it has been created by Meglos. He explains that the time loop is called a chronic hysteresis, which gives those trapped in it only a few seconds of free action before they are sent back to their original starting point. He then alters his appearance until he is an exact double of the Doctor. Part 2 On the TARDIS, the Doctor and Romana struggle to think of a way to get out of the time loop, with K-9 saying that there is no known way to get out of the situation. Meanwhile, Meglos goes on Gregor's ship to Tigella. They land in the dense jungle foliage, and Meglos tells them to wait for him for one hour. Gregor says that they will come to his aid in case he doesn't return, but he mocks their offer and heads off towards the city. In the Tigellan city... Lexa tells Zastor that the Doctor will be allowed to view the Dodecahedron, but only if he takes the Oath of the Dions and swears allegiance to their god, Ty. Zastor says that he cannot ask the Doctor to do that, but Lexa refuses to capitulate. They go to the control room, where Diedrich says that he has sent Karis to receive the Doctor, who they have detected as being nearby. An enthusiastic Karis greets Meglos and brings him into the control room, where a joyful Zastor welcomes him. Meglos, a bit taken aback by Zastor's familiarity, plays up his charade before going to read the Dodecahedron's control console. He orders Diedrich to shut down the radiation absorption screens surrounding the Dodecahedron, and Diedrich follows his instructions, but says that the absorbed power will only be able to keep the city going for another hour. Meglos says that there is more than enough time, and asks to be shown to the Dodecahedron. Zaster is confused by this, asking if he can't remember the way, but Meglos quickly recovers by saying that he only meant that he would follow after Zastor out of respect for his role of the leader. Before they go, Lex asks him to swear the oath to Ty, and after a few anxious seconds, a disturbed Meglos agrees to take the oath. Back on the TARDIS, the Doctor figures out how they can get out of the time loop. He tells Roman and K9 that they have to preempt the loop by doing their actions ahead of the restart time, and then they should be free. They hastily act out their parts, and the TARDIS suddenly shimmers as they slowly break free from the loop, after which the Doctor congratulates them all. Inside the Dion Temple, 
Meglos takes the oath under Lex's supervision. Once the ceremony is over, Meglos tells everyone that they would have to leave the vicinity as he says that in order to solve the problem, he must increase the power output of the dodecahedron. Diedrich says that he might die, but a smug Meglos says that as a Time Lord, he can't die if he has already been to the future. Diedrich points out the paradox that this would entail, but Meglos merely says it is beyond his comprehension. He then tells them that he will go on alone, but Lex objects, saying that she must accompany him as a representative of the god Tai. Meglos again manages to with them by saying that since he has taken the oath, he has the same protection as she does. He then heads towards the dodecahedron, and once inside, he begins to put his plan to action as he attaches one of his devices to the giant pulsing shape. He emerges a short while later, unaware that he is being observed by Karis and Lexa, who have each followed him out of their own curiosity. After he goes, Karis points out that the dodecahedron chamber is now dark, and they rush inside with Lexa carrying a torch. Once inside, they discover that the dodecahedron is gone. Meanwhile, the TARDIS lands in Tigella, and the Doctor and the others make their way towards the city. En route, Canine spots some burnt foliage, but the Doctor says that they need to press on. Romana stays a while to investigate, but when she goes to catch up, she gets lost and wanders into an area filled with large plants with tendrils. Suddenly one of the tendrils ensnares her and holds her in place whilst the flower pot at the top of the plant opens up and tries to envelop her head. Her absence is noticed by the doctor when he arrives at the city and he orders K-9 to go and find her. He is then greeted by the guards who are confused by his presence as they say that he this is the second time that they have seen him arrive at the city. The doctor, thinking that they are talking about his previous trip to the planet, commends them for their memory and heads inside. Back in the jungle, Romana manages to cut herself free and flees the area. As she makes her way, she notices more burnt vegetation and follows its path. Meanwhile, K-9 is forced to give up his search when his batteries begin to run low and he heads back to the city. Back in the city, Karis and Lexa reveal the theft of the Dodecahedron to Zaster. Diedrich informs them that this power is starting to fail all over the city and Zaster asks to know exactly what had happened. Lexa says that there is no time and sends out an alert that the Doctor is to be captured. As he makes his way through the city, Meglos, whose skin has started to become cactus-like again, hears the alert and hides when he hears guards approaching. Meanwhile, the real doctor is captured and is confronted by everyone who demand to know where the dodecahedron is. The doctor, not knowing what they are talking about, explains his late arrival and asks them about finding Romana, but Lex orders him to be taken away. Meanwhile, back out in the jungle, Romana comes across Gruger's ship and realises that it is what was responsible for the burnt foliage. Suddenly she is cornered by Brotiak and his men who fight her attempt to escape. Brotiak then orders her to be killed. Part 3. Gregor emerges from the ship and demands to know who Romana is. She promises to tell him if he doesn't hurt her. Gregor agrees despite Brotiak's protest and Romana tells him of her arrival on Tigella. Gregor demands to see her ship and forces her at gunpoint for her to lead them to it. Back in the city, Karis recounts what she saw at the Dodecahedron chamber to Diedrichs. He expresses doubt that anyone could single-handedly move it, but Karis says that they don't really know anything about the dodecahedron and they could be missing something vital. However, they are summoned away when an alert goes out about a critical power failure. They go back to the control room and Diedrichs orders all non-essential systems to be shut off in order to conserve as much power as possible, which he says will only give them about two hours. Meanwhile, the Doctor is told about the disappearance of the dodecahedron by Lexa and Zastor and he insists that he had nothing to do with it. He says that there are three potential answers as to what is going on. He is either lying, as Lexa insists that he is, or that the Doctor that they saw was a future version of himself created by the time loop, or that there is a doppelganger at large impersonating him. 
Zastro says that he wants to trust him and that he will accompany the doctor to the dodecahedron chamber so they can search for clues. Lexa objects to this, but Zastro overrules her and leaves with the doctor. Meanwhile, in the city, the human that Meglos is inhabiting begins to resist his control and tries to force Meglos out of his body, but he's not strong enough. Meglos then hears people approaching and he hides as he sees Karis and another savant approach. Karis sends her colleague to another area and after he goes, Meglos ambushes her and she is so stunned and entranced by his appearance that she allows herself to be led to his hiding place. His skin goes back to normal and he reveals his true identity as Meglos. He tells her that he needs to get out of the city and when she asks why she should help him, he shows her something in his hand that shocks her. Out in the jungle, Romano leads Grogger and the others back to their own ship but blames the mistake on the planet's anti-clockwise rotation. Grugger, now wanting to seem stupid, acknowledges this and gives Romana another chance to lead him to the TARDIS. This time she leads him to the area with the plants that ambushed her and then aggravates them into attacking Grugger and his men and she uses the distraction as a chance to escape. Back in the city, the Doctor and Zaster, now accompanied by Diedrix, make their way to the dodecahedron chamber. However, before they can start their investigation, they are surrounded by Lexa and the rest of the Dions. Zaster demands to know what's going on and she says that the dodecahedron has been reclaimed by Tai. She says that in order to get it back, they must appease him by banishing all non-believers to the surface. However, the doctor is to be kept behind as Lexa says that he will be sacrificed as part of the appeasement. Lexa orders the city to be sealed off just as Romana arrives. She spots K9 nearby and running low on power, and she picks him up and takes him inside just before the doors close. However, she then becomes trapped when an inner door closes, stranding her in K9, just as Gruger and his men appear after having fought their way out of the plant trap. Gruger orders his men to break into the city, and they use a tree as a battering ram. Before they are able to break in, the guards of the city open the inner door and tell Romana and K9 to take cover before they engage in a firefight with Gruger's men. Romana puts K9 into cover and says that she will be back once she has found a way to charge his battery. Inside the city, Meglos continues to try and coerce Karis into helping him, but he is distracted when his human body again tries to banish Meglos. Karis watches the struggle, and she sees the two bodies separate momentarily before Meglos again establishes control. However, she draws a portable thermal lance from her belt and takes Meglos captive, seeing that she will bring him to the control room. As they make their way down the corridors, Romana appears and knocks out Karis, thinking that she has taken the doctor captive. However, Roman is surprised when he ignores her and makes his way back to the entrance where he joins Gruger and his remaining men who have managed to drive off the guards. Once they are outside, Meglos shows them the object in his hand, which is the shrunken dodecahedron, and he says it is time to go back to Zalfathora. Back in the city, Karis wakes up and finds Romana and explains that it was Meglos that she saw. Romana then asks where the doctor is, but Karis says that she doesn't know. At that moment, the doctor is strapped to a table over which hangs a large boulder held up by a series of ropes. Lexus says a sacrificial prayer and then orders her acolytes to burn the ropes. Part 4. Romana and Karis intercept Zastor and Diedrichs as they are being led away to the surface. They explain about Meglos impersonating the Doctor and they rush to the dodecahedron chamber to stop the sacrifice. Lexa calls them heretics, but they tell her that about Meglos and the attack by Grugger's men. Surprised by the presence of the mercenaries on the planet, she agrees to let the Doctor go. The Doctor wonders what Meglos could want with the Dodecahedron, and Karis says that he was trying to get back to Zalfathur with it. The Doctor asks why he would want to go to a dead planet, but a worried Romander reminds him of the giant screen circle that exists there. The Doctor says that they had better get there fast, and they head towards the entrance, accompanied by Zastor and the others. 
Once there, the Doctor and Zastra say their goodbyes, but one of Gregor's men, who is still barely alive, shoots at Romana. Lexa dives in front of her and is killed, and Romana mourns her death. The Doctor says that they have to get the Zalfathur to keep everyone else safe. On his ship, Gregor complains to Meglos that he lost half his crew, but Meglos says that they will be suitably rewarded. They are soon arrived back on Zalfathura, and Gregor and the others watch as Meglos enters the screen circle and buries the miniaturized dodecahedron in the centre of it. He exits the circle and uses the device that he used to shrink it to return to its normal size. He then raises the hidden structure from the sand, and the dodecahedron is raised up on it like a giant beacon. Meglos then tells them to follow him inside the structure so he can show them its true power. He says the rest of his species destroyed themselves to prevent him from arriving at this milestone. He informs them that the screens absorbed the power from the dodecahedron and they could fire it at any point in the galaxy, completely obliterating it. Meglos asks Brotodak to pick a target, but Gregor preempts his mumbling second-in-command and tells Meglos to target Tigella. Brotodak eagerly agrees, but Meglos tells him to be patient as he needs to double-check the screen alignment. He gives Brotodak his coat, which the mercenary had been coveting since he first saw it, and then heads out of the structure. The TARDIS lands on Zalfathura, and the Doctor, Romana, K9, Diedrichs and Karas get out, and they see the dodecahedron glowing brightly on the top of the structure. The Doctor tells the others to stay behind, as it will be safer if he goes alone, explaining that he can pretend to be Meglos if he is caught. He approaches the structure and hides when he sees Meglos emerge. He notices that he isn't wearing a coat, and begins to strip down to match him, when he is accosted by one of Gregor's men. The doctor tricks the guard into holding up onto the screen, saying that he needs it to keep it in place, and he then takes off his jacket before going inside. Inside, he finds Brotodak wearing the coat, and Gregor impatiently asks about what the delay is. The doctor looks around for any clue as to what the screens are programmed to do, and Gregor inadvertently gives him these answers whilst expressing his frustration. Unfortunately, as the doctor works on the controls to try and reverse the process, the guard from outside comes in, carrying his coat. Thinking quickly, the doctor says that he got it for Gregor as a token of a job well done. He then leaves and says that the screens will reach their firing power in two minutes. However, after he leaves, Gregor dispatches his men to apprehend the doctor and place him in the brig of the ship. Outside, the doctor sees Meglos approaching and he takes cover as he hears the guards approach and he watches as they go past and apprehend Meglos. When he thinks the coast is clear, he gets out of his hiding spot, but he runs into Brotodak and another guard who apprehend him and bring him to the ship. At Gregor's ship, Roman and the others see the doctor being brought into the ship, unaware that Meglos was also brought inside a few minutes before their arrival. Romana tells the others that they need to rescue him. Inside the brig, Meglos berates Gregor and his men for their own stupidity and says that they won't be able to hit their target without him. The Doctor then reveals that he inverted the targeting sensors on the screens and Zalfathura and everyone else on it will be dead in a matter of minutes after Gruger starts the firing sequence. Meglos bemoans the fact that his plans have failed at the last moment and the Doctor wonders why he is so power mad. Suddenly a section of the door falls in after K9 had cut through it with his nose laser. Meglos tries to make a break for it but his human body again rebels against his control. With no other choice, Meglos separates himself from the human and reverts to a slug-like entity which crawls out of the room. The doctor says there is no time to waste and he leads everyone back to the TARDIS which struggles to take off, leading him to say that she needs an overhaul. Meanwhile, Meglos gets back into the structure and sets it to go beneath the sand again. He then orders Gregor and Brotodak to stop the firing countdown, but they instead fire the screens which destroys Zalfathura. Back on Tigella, the doctor says his goodbye's disaster who says that they have begun their efforts to reclaim the surface. Romana then appears and says that they have had a summons from Gallifrey. 
The doctor says that he will attend to it after they have dropped off the human back to Earth, with the doctor promising to avert him getting into any trouble with his wife by dropping him back to earlier in the day. End of the story. So, this one will have some interesting bits of trivia, I think. So, without further ado, let's go over to the trivia spot. What have you got for us this week? Cool. So, this week I remembered to put in the air date. Yes. So, the air date of the story is the 27th of September to the 18th of October 1980. Mm-hmm. The writers are John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch. This is their only Doctor Who writing credit. They did, however, write another serial, uh, Project Zeta Sigma. Um, but that was cancelled in 1981 by Anthony Root, who was script editor, with the approval of Barry Letts in the absence of John Nathan Turner. So you mentioned that Barry Letts is executive producer at the moment. Hmm. So Barry cut that story in the absence of John Nathan Turner. The director is Terence Dudley. This is his only directing credit for Doctor Who. However, he did also write the Doctor Who television stories For to Doomsday, Black Orchid and the, De- and the King's Demons as well as the Canine and Company TV pilot, A Girl's Best Friend, and its novelization, which we will be discussing soon. Yes. Terrence passed away in 1988. The working titles for my gloss were The Golden Pentangle, The Golden Pentagram, The Golden Star, The Last Solfatoran, and The Last Zolfatoran. Meglas came into being because Christopher Bidmead, the script editor at the time, purposely sought out John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch as new talent. But John Nathan Turner wasn't really impressed with the ideas they were putting forward. And it was this particular serial was shuffled around a lot in terms of placement. Hmm. And it was placed here because a particular character from later in the season wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. Keen to inject more science into the scripts, Christopher Bidmead suggested the chronic hysteresis element um he took the terminology from a loop-like phenomenon which arises in fields such as electromagnetism megloss itself the story was actually highly innovative um as it was the bbc's first use of scene sync which is a motion control technology that improved the believability of composite soft composite shots that were made using cso so basically allowed the scene mm-hmm. to go better um interestingly um Doctor Who never used it again. <laughs> Just mm. this one. But other BBC productions did use it based off this successful test in Megloss, including Gulliver and Lilliput. Yay. Which is brilliant. Uh, again, highly recommend. To be fair, like it is actually quite good because you don't have that whole half a person's head missing shtick you did yeah, with it is, common It is CSO. significantly better than what we've seen previously i am curious why they never used it again maybe it was an expense thing yeah or whatever like they compared this to underworld yes that was the same one i was thinking of actually yeah yeah big difference um and gulliver and lilliput looked amazing it really did it really really did um weirdly enough part four's end title theme music is played a whole step lower than normal which puts the tune back into the original key of e minor which I didn't notice. Nor did I. Because I I didn't listen to it. The yeah. episode ended. And I switched over to Secret Invasion. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll have to double check. 
during production of this story, um, Madame Tussauds in London debuted their Doctor Who exhibition, which actually included sculptures of the fourth Doctor and his Meglos doppelganger, meaning Tom Baker is the only person to have appeared twice in the Wax Museum. Oh. Uh, something we may discuss later, Brotodac is an anagram of bad actor. <laughs> Which is an in-joke from the production team. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, this is the last story, apparently, and Paddy can verify this, until Four to Doomsday to not be part of a wider story arc. Yes, because... So the next... One, two, three, four, five... At least the next six stories, because I think Four to Doomsday is Peter Davison's second story. Mm. So the next six stories all have a continual lead into effect, because the next three stories are what is called the E-Space Trilogy, which then Mm. leads into uh, the final two stories of this season, which is The Keeper of Traken, or Traken, whichever you want to pronounce it, and Legopolis, which is then finished by Castrovalva. Um, this is also the last story of season 18 to be released on both VHS and DVD. So at this point, they just switched over to DVD. In the original storyline, Lexa simply vanished from the action once she had served her purpose within the narrative. There was no self-sacrifice moment. That was added by Christopher Bidmead to give a more dramatic end to the character, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. The dodecahedron as you may have gathered from the alternative titles, um, was originally a five-sided object, hence pentangle and pentagram mm-hmm. and star. Um, yeah, uh, which is why the number of screens found on Zalfathora sort of lined up with a five-sided object. Yeah. Um, rather than the 12-sided object that is made up itself of pentagons, which is the way that they sort of explained it. Mm-hmm. For a while, it was suggested that the Garstax might exhibit East Asian appearance with Bill Fraser and Frederick Treves made up accordingly. This was dropped, I would say, to an extent. Yeah. Their hats and stuff, I think, are still inspired, but it's not as obvious. Yeah, so I didn't mention it in the recap. The Garstax are Grugger's mercenary crew, and they have a yeah. very Cossack step-like designed to them yeah um but they are not makeup wise no actually um, it's actually a thing no it's actually a thing of where the actors that um you there are some asian or steppe region actors actually in the crew but there there's mm-hmm. no make there's no yellow face there's no brown face or anything like that yeah um romana's outfit was inspired by little lord falteroy I don't like her outfit in this one, so. Because <laughs> uh, Bidmead was required to significantly expand some of the scripts, particularly episode three, which was running seven minutes short. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, among the added material was Romana leading the Gasex in a circle through the jungle, <laughs> rather than just leading them to the bells. Mm-hmm. Um Tom Baker was still recovering from the illness that had plagued him during the leisure hive. I mentioned last week that he had returned from Australia and he was quite ill. Mm-hmm. Um, but his long convalescence was still sort of affecting his mood. 
and he really disliked the facial appliance that he had to wear to give him the cactus-like appearance, which I think is why once Megalos starts reverting to cactus again mm-hmm. on Tigella, he isn't always cactus. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's because Tom just refused to wear it. Yeah. Uh, this is the only story of the original run where every credited cast member appears in every episode. We're introduced to all the main players in episode one, and they're all in all four episodes. Actually, yeah, that no, the thing about yeah, that's true. Let's talk about these credited cast members. So, as Zastor, we have Edward Underdown, Underdown, and this is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Edward. His non-who credits include The Warren Case, The October Man, Her Panel Door, Murder Will Out, The Shadow Man, and Beat the Devil. Edward passed away in 1989. As Lexa, we have Jacqueline Hill. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, This is the final Doctor Who appearance for Jacqueline, unfortunately. Now, uh, there was a line that was in the TARDIS wiki about Jacqueline and the story, which... So, okay for context in the blu-ray box set of season 18 mm-hmm. there is a dedication to jacqueline hill little like five ten minute video mm-hmm. and in it her husband and her friend talk about how after jackie had her kids she wanted to get back into acting but at that point she was nearing 50 or she was 50 and it was very difficult for her to get jobs or whatever. Now, her husband says that, like, Doctor Who was different when she got back to it. That she found the show had changed considerably since she had been on it. And that's... He, he doesn't say that she hated it or anything like that. He just mm. says that she found it different. Like, mm-hmm. it, the show had clearly moved on yeah. from when she was on it. Um, the way the TARDIS wiki describes it, I don't know... They didn't cite a source, so I don't know if they're just taking this from a number of different things like maybe commentaries or whatever mm-hmm. um, but they claim that she actually regretted appearing in the story feeling that since she played Barbara it was inappropriate to appear as a different character I struggle to believe that because Jacqueline Hill was a very intelligent person I don't think she would have done the story mm-hmm. if that was her concern Yeah. Um, and apparently and like I said she admitted the show had changed considerably since her time and and again, I'm not quite sure about this phrase. I haven't heard it mentioned anywhere else. Was now recognizable in name only. I like I said, there is no source for that. Yeah, the, it's changed considerably. But her husband did say that she commented on that. Her regretting being in it and saying that it was recognizable in name only. I I I don't have a source for, and I I don't know why. Things because I love Jackie so much. I sort of struggled to think that that's the way she would have thought of it because she had great. Respect for Doctor Who, like even right up until the end. Apparently, she was still signing autographs and mm-hmm. you know talking. Like she, she took, she was never ashamed of her time on Doctor Who, and she took great pride in it. No, um, so I don't, I don't see her regretting going back. But whatever, I, I never met her, um, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because sadly, Jackie passed away in 1993. I think, I think in my own head now, as I said, because you know, I never met the woman. But I, I kind of put her in the same camp as like Colin Baker, who is like just mm-hmm. this massive proponent for the show and in any of its forms, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, from what like people were saying, like, I think she did do one convention mm. before she passed away. Um, 
but like I said, like apparently like, people would send her letters and like she'd send back signed photos and apparently she took great um you know, like like a lot of Doctor Who actors actually, she took great care mm. of the show. Mm-hmm. Like as far as like the way her husband described, like Doctor Who made her really, it made her a household name. And she recognized that and she held great respect for it. So like I said, I I don't think she would have gone back to do another story if she thought it was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Because of the character, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Point is, she was in it. Um, as Karis, we have Colette Gleason. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Colette. Um, she had earlier actually been among the actresses considered to play Leela. Mm, interesting. Yeah, her non-Who credits include Romeo and Juliet, Crossroads, Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, and Just Good Friends. Diedrichs and the voice of Megalos um, are played by Crawford Logan. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Crawford. His John Who credits include Secret Army, EastEnders, The Chief, Beowulf, Midnight in Peking, and Outlander. As General Grugger, we have Bill Fraser. Is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Bill, though we will see him again in the previously mentioned K9 and Company. He was in that as well, but mm. technically that's not Doctor Who, hence why this is only Doctor Who credit. Apparently he agreed to play Grugger on the condition that his character would be allowed to kick K9 on screen. Prick. Yeah. His non-who credits include Cinderella, The Army Game, David Copperfield, Captain Nemo in the Underwater City, and Up Pompeii. Bill passed away in 1987. Lastly, as Lieutenant Brotodak, we have Frederick Treves. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Frederick. His non-who credits include The Adventures of Sir Lancelot, which we haven't talked about in ages. Mm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Recommend. Emergency War 10, The Avengers, the TV show. The Railway Children, Zed Cars, The Elephant Man, and Mr. Bean. Ah. Frederick passed away in 2012. And that brings us to the end of the trivia. So, thank you for that trivia. And it's always great to speak about... Jackie again so here's hoping that we get a chance to have a nice conversation about Jackie in this particular story mm, we shall see yeah. we shall see so uh, we're now into the character discussion part of the podcast so as always we will be discussing the Doctor and the companions who in this week would just be Romana because while K9 is still the bestest boy didn't really contribute a whole lot this time no no, uh, but we will always have the proviso that he is the bestest boy. Uh, we then have the prominent characters of the four main Tigellans, which are Zaster, Diedrichs, Karras, and Lexa. And then we have the villains of Meglas, Grugger, and Brotodak. Yep. Yep. I agree with all of those. Yep. When you said Europe, I just heard Yarp for like it's in hot fuzz, and I was like, "Wait, well, Brotodaki is that kind of thing." The one character that we're not discussing and we didn't mention in trivia is the Earthling. Yeah, because in fairness, I, I will say it now before going to it, I did like how he fought Megalos, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really do a whole. Besides, like two or three instances where he tries to separate himself, and then. Potentially wanting to stay on to Jonas because he doesn't want to get in trouble with the wife for being late. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, he's not really a character in his own right. No. He doesn't even have a name. Yeah, and that was the thing. Like I was thinking about it, kind of like, like he adds like plot advancement and crucial plot, like you know, the good parts of the plot. But at the same time, it's like four instances of him on screen. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's why we didn't include yeah. him in trivia, and it's why mm. we're not going to be discussing him as a character. Yeah. So, uh, you did the socials, so you get to lead us mm-hmm. off this week. So, give me your thoughts on the Doctor. Before we go into my thoughts on the Doctor proper, mm-hmm. I do have to say, I didn't notice that last week, but Tom spends a lot of this story in shirt sleeves. Mm-hmm. And fuck me, does he look sick. Yeah, like whatever he picked up in Australia, like it's clearly fucking not doing him any favors because he he's... clearly lost a lot of weight. Yeah, and like it doesn't look too bad when he has the coat on and stuff, mm-hmm. but like when he's just in his shirt sleeves, he looks really skinny. Yeah, like skinnier than normal. To the point where like it was it was literally the first thing like I, I forgot that I had mentioned last week that he'd been sick, mm-hmm. so it was the first thing I wrote down it was like fuck me he looks really sickly. Yeah, because like the last thing we would have seen him in short sleeves was deadly assassin. Probably. Yeah, and like you know he's not like a a huge guy, but he's he's not svelte either. But here he's yeah, yeah, yeah it's very sickly thin. Mm. Um, but yeah, so onto the Doctor proper. This is a weird one in the sense that it's kind of Doctor Light in mm. a way mm-hmm. because in episode one, they're stuck in a time loop and he trips over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. While in the time loop repetition, Roman is the one fixing K9. Now he does start out fixing K9. Yeah. But Roman is the K9. So that's essentially an episode of the Doctor we kind of lose because mm-hmm. he doesn't really do a whole lot. Um, and then in episode two and into episode three, we're sort of split between Meglos Doctor and the Doctor Doctor. And like it takes a long time for the Doctor to meet with the story-based characters and to really start being the doctor as it were i think we're looking at like what the end of episode two maybe even into episode three so by by my view on it Mm. the doctor does not move the plot himself at all or do anything to impact the plot until the fourth episode yeah which is very different (laughs) for a doctor who story usually if the doctor is with a Doctor Light story. He's not I'm there. Thinking, yeah, I'm thinking like the Massacre, massacre yeah. and whatever. The character just isn't there. Mm-hmm. Here the character is there. He's just not doing anything. Like I said, he's stuck in a time loop. Mm. Or he's going for a walk. Or he's going who, what, when, where, why am I about to be crushed by a giant rock? Yeah. Um, there isn't really a whole lot in it. Um, which... It sort of makes it weird to discuss him as a character because he doesn't really do a whole lot until, like you said, episode four. And even then, he still doesn't do a whole lot. Do you know, they find out where they're going, which is fine. And, you know, he does the, like, the Doctor opposite Megalos Doctor. It was really fun to watch. 
the way the doctor was with him. Mm. There was no sort of like, how dare you impersonate me, blah, blah, blah. There's no blush that you would have gotten from, say, maybe Bill or someone. Yeah. Who had been all bluster. He was like sort of all humor and stuff, which I think worked well in the scene. But like the only thing the doctor really did in the story bar transport them to Megalos or, or chase after Megalos um, was come up with a way to trick the time loop, which was a stupid way of tricking the time loop. Yeah. The time loop isn't an audience going. Oh, yeah, like it's it's they, not. A, they jumped ahead. How it's, the fuck? It, it's not a sentient being. Like yeah, it's not like a child where you can just act out the thing again. Yeah. The child's like, what the fuck? Um, and then at the end, where he redirects the beam back on the planet the beam would have been coming from, mm. as opposed to Tidus, which isn't really a whole lot. And in terms of compassion, I didn't like his line. Like when Lexa dies. Hmm. he has this line about like you know that's so sad but we have to go because there's millions of other lives that need saving and part of me is like you have a time machine hmm. like and I, I will say I'll say it now but the same applies to Romana who just tiptoes over her and leaves like what <laughs> which I, did, I didn't like I didn't like the fact that the doctor just didn't take the time to sort of say anything about her, even kneel down to sort of be in her presence or whatever. It just seemed very rushed. It's kind of like a, as you say, it's sort of like a rushed version of that scene from Pyramids of Mars that you don't like, you know, Mm. when he snaps at um, Lawrence. Yeah, but like it's, it's, this seems different because Again, I'll, I'll just say it now, but like Romana doesn't seem to care either. I'm like, Romana, you're a time lady. You would have regenerated anyway, and the woman just died for you. Mm. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's because that woman is played by Jacqueline Hill, but I'm like, respect her death, you bastards. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I have comments about that for each of the characters involved in it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so for me, like, uh, I've sort of gone around in circles. They don't really have an opinion on the Doctor in the story. Other than he didn't do a whole lot. And what he did do was morally ambiguous. Maybe? Mm. How about you? Yeah, like it's like it's a very, very meh outing from the Doctor because like it's, as I said, for the first two episodes he he's doing nothing essentially there's no plot driving there's no whatever maybe this mm. was like some sort of weird therapy thing for him and lala to kind of get their shit together you know um yeah. then like for episode three as you said like it's like you know he's protesting his innocence for pretty much all of it and then when he gets a chance to actually do something about it he's immediately fucking arrested and then strapped to a sacrifice table so like again also, I just remembered, he's protesting his innocence. And like when Lex is like, I saw you, he's like, you saw me? Do you know what this means? I'm like, yeah. She knows when she saw you and the guards at the door also know when they saw you come in. Mm-hmm. There's your proof, you dumbass. You you can tell that we've recently seen fucking 12 angry men. Let's take two pieces of evidence and com- <laughs> compare them against each other. <laughs> uh, I don't, did, we, did we talk about this last week? 
tangent. Did we talk about this last week? No, we didn't. The production of Twelve Angry Men that me and Paddy went to see. We went to see it separately. Yeah, it was really, really good. It was. They did a fucking great job. If you have never seen Twelve Angry Men, I think either of the film versions, either the black and white version or the colored mm-hmm. version, do. Um, just, just yeah. do. I would say like like watch both of them because the newer version, which is the nineties, adds an element of uh, multi-religion and multi-racial aspects to the jury because in the original they're all white men, whereas here mm. you have two African Americans, one of whom is a Muslim, and mm. you also have uh, a Latino character and a couple of Italian Americans, and it just this whole. The whole melting pot thing of over, like, you know, the racial bias is multifaceted this time around. Um, I know the black and white version is on Prime. Is the coloured version streaming anywhere? I think it was a HBO television movie. So if it's anywhere, it's probably going to be on Max. Um, And as I also recently found out, because I love, love the, I love the movie and I love the play, the story, the whole lot. John Delancey, Q from Star Trek. Uh, mm. directed a live radio version of it that has Armin Shimmerman, it has Dan Castanaleta, Homer Simpson, has Hector Eliozando, has Jeffrey Donovan, load of people in it. Oh, Richard Kind as well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which you can get on Audible. Yes. Yeah. We are not sponsored by any of these people. We're, we're really not. <laughs> we just really like 12 Angry Men. Yes, <laughs> we really do. <laughs> Okay, back back on tack. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, but fuck it. They're used to this, like, like the weird tangents <laughs> that we do. Thank you for your indulgence, people. Um, yeah, no, he's just protesting his innocence, and it's like he he doesn't impact. He doesn't drive the story or take any sort of charge until episode four, mm-hmm. and as you said, then it's a very he takes a very third Doctor action, which is like, yeah, I've decided to point the laser back at this planet uh the only thing i'd say in his defense of that other than the like four members of um grover's Space's crew grover's crew the planet is uninhabited mm-hmm. so it's slightly less third doctor than the sea devils <laughs> True, but like, yeah, he, like, he didn't give them a chance again. He didn't give them a chance to say, you know, fucking. He didn't warn them if yeah, you press the button. Yeah, do this. Sling your hook, yeah. you know. Um. So, yeah, like this is like he doesn't do anything bad or anything like egregious, which is like you know, like oh, this is a fucking terrible, mm. terrible. He just does nothing, like mm. re- really, like so. It's <sighs> he's there. Yeah. And he needs a sandwich. Okay. And some flats have an up. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, some flats have an up, absolutely. Um so Romana, the companion. Okay, episode one, she has the same issue as the doctor. Episode two, she gets lost in a forest. Episode three, she's lost in a forest. <laughs> And does she drive the plot? N- not particularly. Like, if anything, she works against the plot. <laughs> because she lets the Meglos Doctor go free. Um, 
Well, that, that's still kind of driving the plot, but just in a negative fashion. Well, yeah, but as in, like, she, she works against <laughs> yeah. the resolution to what. Um, and again, I'm trying to think, what does she do? And I'm coming up blank. Well, what I would say is, and a complete fucking curveball here, I think she contributes more to the story than the fucking Doctor does, or she does more in the story than the Doctor does. She does. She's in it more as herself. Mm-hmm. She interacts with more people than he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of those interactions don't have any substance, if that makes sense. It does, because you'll it'll come up uh, it'll come up frequently now in the character discussion. Mm. But this is a, a hollow pastry of a story. Like, there's no yeah. substance. There's no filling to it. Yeah. Like... I would almost say that this story is more about the prominent characters mm. than it is about our TARDIS crew. Yeah. In a way. Um, but like, I'm trying to think what does Romana contribute to the resolution of the story? And the only thing she contributes is freeing the Doctor mm-hmm. using K9. Yeah. And that's it. Um other, other than that, like again, she, like her actions helped free Megalos, which isn't her fault. She didn't no. fucking know that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But first of all, she knocked out Karis. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, no. First of all, she led Grugger's crew to the entrance mm-hmm. to the city. Then she knocked out Karis, allowing Megalos to run away. And be protected by Gregor's crew and get away. Mm-hmm. So really not doing a whole lot in terms of protecting anyone. And again, like I said, the whole thing with Lexa dying for her, like, again, I'm thinking back, I'm always going back to it. Androids of Tara, I can't help but go back to it. When we talk about Romana as a character, I always have to go back to Androids of Tara. And Romana won walking to her death to protect the princess mm-hmm. or in um i've forgotten the fucking name of it now whichever one it was where romana one is being tortured and she's like uh, are we getting tracker yeah she's like i don't fucking care she's like i don't care mm-hmm. if they kill me whatever um and then i think of romana too in the horns of naima mm-hmm. putting herself in danger to protect others and then I see this, where obviously she couldn't stop Lexa jumping in front of her, because that was Lexa's choice. But again, there's no, what did she do that for? I would have been fine. You know, there was no emotional response to it, hmm. which just makes her come across as a bit heartless. And the fact that she just picks up K9 and tiptoes around Lexa out the fucking door. I'm just like, well... Really? To give her to give her a bit of credit, there is a slight emotional response, but it's done in the same vein of the whole many buttons died to give us this information. Yeah, like, it, it's it, like, um, it, it's done in that exact same tone and style, you know. Yeah, like, and again, I can't help but imagine Romana won if that had happened to her. Hmm. Her reaction, I think, would have been. Very different. And even though Romana One was meant to be the Ice Princess, I think she actually would have been more emotional in her response. Although I will say one thing, right? Mm. And is... Which I think can potentially account for the lack of what we would say might be 
suitable emotion at at mm. such a thing as that going. She didn't fucking know the woman. Like there, there's there's no interaction between Lexa and Romana at all. True, but to make it even more emotional, Lexa didn't know her either. Yeah, and like it's like and it's more so I think it's more so on the Lexa conversation more so than anything, because like yeah. Lexa's a very interesting character. Um but it's like yeah, I know you can like maybe just like the confused sadness, which is like, you know, she didn't know me. Why did she do this? That type of yeah, thing. Like, you'd think there was something that they could have done for her. That, that's the way that they should have played it. But the way they wrote it was like, kind of, I've, I'm after having like an episode's worth of conversations with you, even though you didn't. Yeah, but it's also like, so like, I get that, like I said, um, it was the script editor that put in that scene mm-hmm. of, but it's like, it's like he put in, oh, Lexa jumps in front of her man to save her and didn't bother writing anything around it. No. Yeah. He's like, oh, we'll give Lexa a good send-off. Mainly, I suppose, so that Jackie doesn't just disappear into the ether. Yeah. She came, she came back to the story. Let's mm-hmm. kill her. Um, let's give her a bit of a redemptive moment. And we'll talk about that when we get to Lexa. But it's like, they didn't build anything around it. It's like, Okay. Can, can our main cast please fucking respond? Hmm. No? Okay, cool. Never mind. Um, so, yeah. Also, kind of, meh. Um, I wouldn't say it's her worst story. No, because, <laughs> no, because like, to be like, this To be had worse. Yeah. Like, I will say, right, and I, I, I don't think I'll ever fucking get over this, right? While they're repairing K9, Romana says that you know, like, oh, if you'd upgraded his sea defenses. And I'm like, no, if you hadn't thrown a fucking temper tantrum and thrown the ball in the direction of the water, you had... And then just screamed at him as yeah. opposed to screaming an actual command. You had fucking land ahead of you, land behind you, and plenty of land to the left. You chose the ocean on the right. That's your fault. I'm sorry. No. Um, But outside of that... We get to see her intelligence because she's the one that properly repairs K9. True. Yeah. I will give her that. It was we, her fault, so she should have. Yeah. I'll give her that. We also get to see a bit of her ingenuity um, by the fact that the second time she leads the guys away from the ship, I don't understand how that anti clockwise fucking thing works. It, it's just a joke. It's just it, a joke. Yeah, I was I was wondering because the doctor came up with a stupid reason why he went the wrong way, oh, and then right. she realized the pirates were stupid, so she could use the same reason. Okay, fair enough. Now I feel stupid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel right at home with that fucking crew because I thought that they were doing some weird thing about a planet's actual gravity no, or gravitation no, axis no. going wrong. Hey, fucking! No. <laughs> this is why Superman One has such a stupid resolution. <laughs> but anyway, all right. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> no. Um, I'll keep referring back to it so you uh, can't. Cool. No problem at all. Um, but no, she does show some ingenuity by leading them, Grugger's guys, into a trap. So I'll give her that. That is the most positive stuff that she does in this story. And that's it. The minute she gets to, t- the, minute she gets to the Tygelan city, it pretty much the roles switch from oh Roman actually doing doing something to 
okay, tag, you know, you're out. I, I'll try and do something. And it effectively boils, boils down to neither of them fucking do a whole lot in this story. Nope. And K9 does, does, does just as much. No. John was probably just sitting reading a fucking paper going, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beep. <laughs> Some, something. Just battery blows. Yeah. It's just like. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the reason they gave for it is so stupid. He'll have to recharge every two hours. Like, there's been some, like, weird writing around K9 in the past. Mm-hmm. That, for me, was a particularly bad one. Yeah. Like, on the planet, he didn't serve any purpose to the plot. Mm-hmm. At all. Other than actually reminding Trish right in this very moment that the Doctor didn't even particularly seem that concerned about Romana and K9 being missing. He mentioned Romana being outside a couple of times, mm. but not under any major sort of worry. And he never mentions K9 at all. Mm-hmm. Prick. Um, but like they could have just left K9 in the TARDIS and saying like, oh, like he's back up and running, but it's going to take 24 hours for him to be fully charged. So they leave him on the TARDIS while they go wander around Tidegalus. And then he's fully charged for when they go to the main planet. Mm-hmm. And he can still do an episode four where he did an episode four, which is free the doctor from jail. I'm like, yeah. other than that, he does nothing. <laughs> he attacked one guy, maybe. No, he, did, he, he distracted. Oh, no, no, he did. He distracted. No, he did that on the planet. Yeah, he distracted. And that was on the other planet. Yeah. 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 No, it just leaves the boy at home. Mm-hmm. So when we get to the real, I suppose, meat of the character. You were getting to the meat section of the meat section, which is the prominent mm. characters. So we have Karis, Diedrich, Lexa, and Zastor. Now, what order would you like to do them in? We'll do Karis first, mm-hmm. then Diedrich, mm-hmm. then Zastor, and we'll leave Lexa for the end. Okay, cool. Yeah. Karis is another one of those characters that I'm like, why the fuck is Patty making me talk about her? It's because she has a name. Is that, is that reason? It's because she had a name. Um, because I suppose the thing about Karis is that Karis is a savant, mm-hmm. um, but she's a savant who has, you know, what seems to be a sort of unique idea, which is we need to stop living underground. Mm-hmm. We need to retake the planet and stop relying on the dodecahedron for power, mm-hmm. which makes her interesting. Mm-hmm. Other than that, she's very bland as a character. Like, that's her one thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know? There's the one mission she'll fight for is we need to go back up to the planet's surface. We need to go back up to the planet's surface. Listen to me. We need to go back up. Like, we get it, lady. You want to move back up to the planet's surface. Then she's obviously taken in by Megalos. Uh, what I do like about the whole Megalos thing, and I'll give her credit, she at least fights back. Mm-hmm. She gets a weapon. She turns on him. That's good. But... Other than that, she's kind of just there, giving like another white outfit to the colorful robe balance. Because mm. you don't even get the sense that her and Diedrichs are exceptionally friendly with each other. No, and that's that's a reason why I actually wanted to have the discussion surrounding her. Because other than the fact that she looks like Denise Crosby as a Romulan, who's who's all of the savants, I was like, yeah, hello. 
what was her name? I uh, I cannot remember. Fuck it. Not Solar. Solar is the doctor that we never see what? except once. But uh, whatever. I, I look up. Uh, is it Sella? It's definitely somebody who begins with an S. Anyway, yeah. it's like four letters. Sola, Sella. Okay, one second there. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's Sella. S S E L A. Yes, all of the savants mm-hmm. just look like Sella, but in a white outfit mm-hmm. rather than a black outfit. Mm-hmm. And yes, Caris uh, looks very Denise Crosby. Mm-hmm. She really does. Um, but to your point, the reason that I like, I actually like Caris as a character is that, mm-hmm. yes, she's a savant, but her primary motivation is the safety of all Tygallans. And mm-hmm. Diedrichs and Lexa have, and by association, the rest of the savant and Dion Poole that we know of, they're mm-hmm. obsessed with this essentially church versus science dick measuring contest to see mm. who's the right one. And he, and she's like, you've lost sight of the priority, which is that we're trying to save our city. And mm. at the moment, our only viable solution is to try and make a go of it back on the surface. You're all calling me crazy, but you're not, none of you are coming up with a fucking alternative. Well, like you're saying that trust in God, but the city is still failing. You're saying we need to uh, fucking access the dodecahedron, but you know that that's not going to happen. So why aren't you coming up with an alternative? You're the one that's meant to be in charge. So she's she's one of the, I think she's one of the more rational people that we've seen from Taigan society. Yeah, I think it gets interesting... Comparison. So I sort of joke that, like, did you include us? That we have two people in white outfits and two yeah. people in robes. Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, within the savants, Diedrichs is kind of the um the vocal. Yeah. Um, our way is the best way. Blah blah blah. And then you've got Kara sort of not counterbalancing him, but giving an alternative view. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't seem to have a massive issue with Lexa and the rest of them either. She, she doesn't, because she actually re- re- interacts really well with Lexa. Um, but then the other side, you have Lexa, who's obviously the chief priestess, that's her job. Yeah. With Zastor, mm-hmm. who is dressed the same as her, was presumably a Dion before he was elected into his position. Mm-hmm but provides an alternative view. Now, he's in a slightly different position to Karis because he is the leader of the people. Mm-hmm. But he is more measured yeah. than Lexa, in the same way that Karis is more measured than Diedrichs. Hmm. In a way, it kind of reminds me a small bit of going back to Star Trek. Uh, Star, Star Trek. Um, Vedic Wynn and the the guy that Kira was in a relationship with. Burial. Burial, yeah. Kind of like that where he was a lot more moderate in his views surrounding the wormhole and everyone's ability to like interact with it or use it versus uh, fucking, sorry, Wynn, which was like, you know, going to fucking O'Brien's wife. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Get away, you're unclean, or like essentially that kind of shit, you know? I will say, mm-hmm. your one who played Vedic Wynn was... Fucking oh, amazing. Louise, Louise Fletcher. I, I actually didn't realise that she's Nurse, Nurse Ratchet from One Flew oh. the Cuckoo's Nest. She was she was fantastic in that role. Mm-hmm. I will say, 
Vedic Wynn mm-hmm. is the fucking Antichrist of Star Trek characters. Oh, she is perhaps one of the worst people. Mm. And we'll talk about Lexa in a while, but she is not on Wynn's level. No. Uh, Wynn is a is a re- repeat gold medalist at the punting games. She is the Michael Phelps of the punting games. Yeah, she, oh, like, everything to do with her introduction and the circle. I'm going off on a tangent. I don't care. I fucking hate Bedequin. Yeah. Oh, she's so fucking, oh. Or Kai win if she later becomes one. Oh, yeah. the fact that she got a Kai. Yeah. And, like, what she did to Boreal. Mm. And like Boreal's death. Oh my god, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Let's let's get back to the less egregious <laughs> characters here. Yeah. But no, but like that's like that's the comparison that I'd make here, you know? That mm. you have these two differing aspects of a society. And it seems that the two elected heads of those groups, all they care about is which one of us is the one in power. Whereas the fucking the moderates are like mm. we're all Ty Gallon's like, we all need to fucking survive. Who cares how it comes about so long as we survive? Mm. You know? And as I said, like, Lexa doesn't seem to have an issue with Karis, and their interactions together seem good. Like, there's no animosity between the two of them. Mm. So, like, par- yeah. part of me wishes that Diedrich wasn't a character. Mm. Yeah, and like, let's go on to Diedrichs, right? So, yeah. Diedrichs is, Diedrichs is that guy who is very intelligent and who knows he's very intelligent, mm-hmm. but doesn't actually use his intelligence for anything other than to show that he's very intelligent. Yeah. Do you know, it's like, he goes on and on about like, oh my God, like we need to be doing something, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. like then do something. Hmm. Stop whining about it and do something. Also, like, you know, oh, the Dion's are holding us back and the Dion's this and the Dion's that, whatever. It's like, if you're caught up on that, you're never going to solve your problem. Hmm. Do you know? And also, they're still Ty Gallons. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah, they focus more on religion. They focus more on the gods. Or, but even just the way he speaks to them. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Do you know who he reminds me of? Nope. He's like, you know, now this might be like more so of an Irish thing, but like the young fella like that, you know, finally gets to stand out at the back of the church and thinks he's the fucking hard man because he's not under his parents' supervision anymore. You know? Like who's... Yeah. Yeah. Like, or... He's the guy that go like that doesn't have to go to religion class anymore, and he thinks he's the cooler one for it. Because there's a scene here where, when Meglas is undertaking the oath, the like the refrain is "Tangs be to tie" in a kind of sing songy mm-hmm. type thing, and he's there in the background going "Tangs be to tie," and mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, you're such a fucking knob, you you really are. Because, sorry, go on. No, no, keep going. I was going like. I, I get, I, I understand the stress as you as the leader of the scientific community, right? I understand the stress you were feeling for trying to keep this city running while you're facing these not quite, well, slightly bureaucratic roadblocks. But you know these roadblocks are there. So you have to work within the system to eventually get those roadblocks down. And mm-hmm. acting the fucking, just acting the prick isn't going to get you there. You know? 
Yeah, like the thing is, I find I think you know what you're saying there about like you know the kid who you know no longer has to go to a legend class or whatever is a good comparison. He's also we've all had it right that person in work who spends all day every day bitching and moaning about some other team that you work with but he never actually gets any of his own work done mm. do you know it's like oh like like if you think back to our previous life whatever oh like those drivers like the drivers are being shit the drivers aren't doing any cleanup the drivers like are making a mess the drivers are doing this and you you've been doing this for four hours you haven't cleaned the areas you're meant to clean mm. you haven't taken a single order you haven't made a single pizza you keep missing things shut up and focus on you for the love of god mm-hmm. like i get it you don't like them fine you're the chief scientist do your job mm-hmm. do your job and if you can't do your job get out of the way yeah prick <laughs> yeah he's just like as i said that and you you brought her up in the the trivia like this is a story that they said struggled for to fill the running time and it, like but what they filled it with doesn't actually flesh out the story and Diedrich as a character he could like he could have been a background savant that just pipes up once to show the general feeling of the savant uh, group outside of Karis. All it takes was just one fucking extra. It doesn't need to be this character that just, as you said, complains about other people and does nothing to rectify the situation themselves. Yeah, I think the only thing that would have actually made the character both better and worse simultaneously, better because he fits better into an archetype, but worse because it would just be make him even more annoying, is if either Lexa or Zastor was his parent. Yeah. Do you know mm-hmm. that like he grew up with the Dion mindset and he left mm-hmm. and became a savant, got the cool haircut and <laughs> which is something I'll go back to in a bit. He got the cool haircut and now he's trying to play the big man. Yeah. That would have made him more annoying but at least would have given him more of a yeah. focus as a character. Mm-hmm. And then and then and then if Lexa was his mum, we could have gotten an emotional reaction to her death from someone. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll be coming back around to that again in a second. Yeah. So will we move on to Zastor? Because I don't think we can get much more out of Diedrichs. No. So Zastor is an interesting one because like I sort of mentioned earlier that like based on his robes, he gives the impression that he is or was a Dion. Mm-hmm. And it sort of makes it really, I'm really curious how the leadership on this planet works because you've got Lexa versus Diedrix. Okay. Mm-hmm. High Priestess versus Chief Savant. Mm-hmm. And then you have Zastor, whose job is clearly to mediate between the two. He's the leader of the Tigellans as a whole, mm-hmm. and his job is to mediate between the two sides. He sits between them. His colours aren't as bold as Lex's, but he's not in all white like the Savants either. Mm-hmm. We don't see his hair, so we don't know if he has a cool haircut. 
we'll have to wait and see. Um, but it makes me wonder, like, is he a Dion who got elected? Like, do do both parties put forward someone to be elected leader? Is he leader by blood right? I I think it's an I think it's an election process because as well like there are we as we've seen there are Tigellans that aren't belonging to either faction. Yeah, so like if it's a case of by election, then it's a case of like so my read of it is that he would have been a Dion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because he, he wears the robe, but the fact that his robe is different is to show that like it shows where he comes from, but he's not aligned with them anymore. Hmm. He's meant to be in the middle. So, like, you know, Lexa and the others were very dark colors. Mm-hmm. Like, very strong colors, like strong purple, strong red, black, yeah. whatever. Whereas his is a much more, like, he was, like, more lilac color. Yeah. As if you've added some white into mm-hmm. it and made it lighter. Yeah. Um. For the little that we saw of him, because he's he's up against two very... One strong personality and one pain in the hole mm-hmm. um, and trying to mediate between them. He seems like a lovely guy who obviously has led Tychelis for the last while, whatever. But in a crisis, he is too much the mediator. And interestingly, both Lexa and Diedrich call him on it. Yeah. Saying... Well, you're our leader, make the fucking choice. But instead, he'd rather mediate more and have both sides come to the agreement. I'm like, nah, dude, you need to just line in the sand this shit, like, and mm. just yeah. stop letting both sides walk all over you and just decide what's being done. Because they mm. both clearly respect his position. Mm. I think they've just kind of lost respect a bit for him. I, I suppose it doesn't help matters as well, like that when his his answer to the whole like you know you have to do something as well i will do something i'll bring in an outside party to help fucking solve this issue Mm. and they don't like that either no and like it's like and he doesn't seem to and he doesn't seem to react to the fact that like he's like oh but the doctor is this and that like you know talk about the last time he was there talk about what he did the last Mm -hmm. time you know why are you bringing him in Mm -hmm. you know I'm too close to the situation to make it an objective decision. So I'm going to bring in someone to hear both sides mm-hmm. and to give the objectivity that I can't because I am Tigellin and I'm impacted by this the same as everybody else. I need someone else, whatever, which may make him look a bit weaker, but it explains why the fuck he's doing it. Yeah. And it, I think what also like kind of adds credence to the, or to the thing that he was a Dion is that he still he he still goes along with Lex's instructions as to he can only come in under these conditions. We can he can only see the mm-hmm. dodecahedron, whatever. And he's like, and even when like he tells Diedrich to stop making fun of the old laws, but mm-hmm. I don't think he ever calls Lexa out on being like a obstinate pain like pain in the ass um, would you though well like see but this is the thing well one you know like you know, like i wouldn't say that thing to fucking jackie at all um but no it's it's clearly that he is trying to still remain as neutral as possible but he clearly is a devout follower of mm. 
they're of Thai. of Thai, yeah. So, and actually, that was another interesting fact. So, like when Lexa says, "The doctor, quote unquote, um, has to take the oath," Diedrich loses his shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zastor seems like you can't ask that of him. Like, mm-hmm. Whatever. But well, all we hear of the oath is that the person will praise Ty. Yeah. Like, I don't. I never fully understood why they were so against him taking the oath. Because I think what it is is that Zastor says like that the doctor is essentially what both parties are looking for in a intermediary, mm. even though neither of them wants the other person to kind of get the win or whatever. But by I think in Diedrich's mind. That if the doctor takes the oath, mm. that establishes what the pecking order is on Tigella. That the Dion's will always be first. Yeah, yeah. I I, just, I don't think Zastor dealt with that particular thing as well as he could have. No, and like like even if he even if he agreed with Lexa mm. and he's like, the rules of Tigellus are that no one bar the Dion's has access to the dodecahedron. Mm-hmm. So, if we want the doctor to see it, he has to take the same oath they did. However, Lexa, once he has seen it, you can't impede him mm-hmm. on his scientific, you know, yeah. extrapolations on it. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like the one time where he needed to play mediator, he didn't. He was a doormat. <laughs> yeah. And then the times where he needed to be objective, he was mediating. Mm-hmm. It's like okay. No, I I think it's like it's it's definitely whether it's intentional or not, like a, a kind of a good reflection of politicians where they have the the sort like there is no division between church and state, and they're mm-hmm. trying to appease both sides while also like you know you you swear an oath of allegiance to a nation, but then you also swear an oath of allegiance to God, and it's like well, mm-hmm. which is the the one which one countermands the or supersedes the other, you know. Mm. Um, I think that kind of like, um, it was in the first season of The Crown where it's like Elizabeth has to be the monarch, but she's also the defender of the faith, and it's like yeah. which which is the one that kind of supersedes. It's a very interesting thing, and unfortunately, like a lot of the story, I don't think it was given the right legs. To make it as interesting as it could be. No, I agree. I agree. Shall we move on to herself? We shall. We shall. To Lexi. I love love her. (laughs) I do. Like. When I realized that she was playing the. Anti-science character. And she was like, ah, Mm -hmm. no. Fuck. (laughs) is checking will play a character I don't like. Yeah. And the thing about Lexa is she is quite unlikable in fairness. <laughs> There's plenty about her not to like. Mm. Like her wanting to kill the doctor, for example. Yeah. However, you've got to admire the fact that she is a woman of strong conviction. Mm-hmm. And like the dodecahedron, this thing that they have built their society around 
is fucking gone. Yeah. And your man was the last one in here. And no one can explain how it got out of the room. If you're a religious person, the only natural conclusion. Yeah. God did it. Mm-hmm. And in their religion, whether you like it or not, to appease Ty involves a sacrifice. Now, I will say, their method of sacrifice is a bit crap. Mm-hmm. It's dropping a giant Bold. triangular shaped block on someone. That's just messy. Yeah. I think we have so much to clean up after that. Like, that's, that's just nice. But... At the same time, like I said, Alexa with Karis, she clearly has no issue. Mm-hmm. Said, she clearly understands the fact that like the savants leverage the energy from the dodecahedron to keep the people alive. And she has zero issue with that. Mm. Her issue is don't overstep your line. Yeah. The only thing I would say I would take major issue with, and even then you can kind of go for a justifiable reason for it, is when she... Um, basic stage is a coup. Yeah. Um, and she said that Zastor will be put out on the planet's surface. But no, but see, this is a, it's not just Zastor. She says all non-believers. So that means yeah. anyone that isn't a member of, anyone that doesn't worship Thai, be they either a Dion or a mm. lay person who is, we've no idea what size of the population that entails. Yeah. Like that's when she goes into her scary moment but like, again part of it at least with Zastor you could understand because again he's the one who brought the doctor mm-hmm. it's like well your friend is going to die because his presence made the dodecahedron go away mm-hmm. and you're going to die because it's your fault yeah he's your friend fuck off does that make her a nice person no does it make her interesting? Yes. Is she the most interesting character in this fucking story? I would also say yes. Mm. She's the one you want to hear what she's going to say. And that isn't just because she's played by Jackie. Yeah. Though Jackie doesn't. Jackie does certainly help. Um, also, her hair is ridiculously long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. I'm here for it for days. My biggest issue with the character of Lexa is her death mm-hmm. and the complete lack of reaction to it now you could say but Trish she was a bitch and she condemned all these people to die on the surface fine fair enough but once she heard what actually happened mm-hmm. she wasn't like she released the doctor she wasn't going through with that plan anymore she was like, okay, you have presented me with an alternative and with someone who we have never seen before as backup to your story. Mm. Cool. What are we going to do now? Do you know? Like, she went off the fucking deep end for a second, but she came back. And when she dies in complete self sacrifice for a woman she met five minutes ago and has had one conversation with, kind of, they were both in the same room. And she jumps in front of her to save her life. And everyone just fucking stands there. Nobody takes care of her. Mm. Nobody, not Zastor, not Diedrichs, not Karis, 
not one of her guards, no one. And I find that incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. Like I said, if that was Kai Wynn, yeah, fuck it, leave her there to rot. But she's not Kai Wynn. She's nowhere near as bad as Kai Wynn. No. <laughs> um, and yeah, part of me is indignant because she is played by Jackie and Jackie did an amazing job. Mm-hmm. Like She really did. She was so good. But like, I actually kind of liked her as a She was the most interesting character in the whole fucking story. She was. She was. Because initially she reminded me of two characters. But now that you mention something, she kind of reminds you of three characters. Mm. Yeah. So I'll start off with my two characters. Uh, because it's Jackie, it feels like if Barbara got lost in the time vortex right after the Aztecs. Yeah. And she's this mesh of Otlock and Clitoxel. Because with Clitoxel, like, you know, she has, like, that superiority over the fact that she controls the dodecahedron. She control like, she's in command of what sustains the city, you know? Mm. But then, and, like, she has this, like, religious fervor to protect it. Now, mm. I kind of went back and I listened to our team about uh, the Aztecs and, like, whether we thought, we kind of went back and forth over whether Clitoxel actually believed or whether he was, like, mm. a snake oil salesman, you know? Mm. Um, who was just using the position of power because you know he got to flaunt power. Um, but the reason she reminds me of Outlock is because in the camera moments, her interactions with Karis, mm. you know, and like this thing, the sacrifice would have been much better if she died trying to save Karis. I agree. I know. I understand why it had to be Romana because it was Grugger's man that took the shot and obviously he was pissed off at Romana for leading him into that plant trap. So that's why he aimed at her. But it would have been better if Karis had been there as well and fucking Lexa dived in to save Karis. I think in terms of the Tygallans, her saving Karis would have a bigger impact. Absolutely. I still think though, in terms of the story and who Lexa was as a person, I think her saving Romana, who she doesn't fucking know. This off-worlder she's never fucking met. Hmm. But she still couldn't let her die. <laughs> I, I, personally, I think it still has impact. Just the episode didn't give it the impact it deserved. No, it, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. And I think that brings me to the Tur character that she reminds me of. And it's only because of something that you said there. She kind of reminds me of Boromir from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, this, I can see that. This character who is convinced that in order to save everyone, the Ring of Power must go to his city. And mm. it's not because he legitimately believes that. It's because he's being corrupted by the influence of the Ring or being corrupted by the power, essentially, mm. of it. And Lexa has her moment of send them all to the fucking surface, the same way that Boromir had his whole give me the ring. But mm. then when rationality sits in, he sacrifices himself to save Mary and Pippin. She mm. sacrifices herself to save, as you say, a complete stranger. Mm. So that's why, like that, much the same way that I think Barmer is a great character, a very interesting character. Lexa is, as you said, yeah, she's the best. And again, it's not biased because it's Jackie is playing her. The character mm. is legitimately the most interestingly written character in the whole fucking story. You know, she is. It's like she was the pet project of of the two lads and they just wrote archetypes around her and unfortunately they didn't flesh her out, which is, I don't understand why. If there's a, there's, and we're going to get onto it when we talk about the, the next batch of guys here, you know? Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, oh, let's talk about them. Like, realistically, is there much that separates Grogger and Brotodak? Grogger is more intelligent. Brotodak is literally a waste of oxygen. Yeah, like, I've just written down like he's like Grogger is the smartest orc in the pack. Of course, Grogger is intelligent to an extent. Now, he's not like super intelligent, but mm. like if you didn't have them next to Megloss, you'd probably say that Grogger was adequately intelligent. There is something I okay. Brotodak is a fucking moron, right? Mm. There. Done. That's all I have to say about him. Grugger. Grugger has moments where he's incredibly sweet. To Brotodak. Which I love. All Brotodak wanted was a new coat. Mm -hmm. Because his coat got destroyed. And so when Megloss goes out and leaves the coat behind, and Brotodak's like, oh my god, I love the coat. He's like, come on. Take the coat. Mm -hmm. You can have the coat. Like, this is their bounty. This is their their loot and he's like you can have the coat and then later on he's like you can have two yeah and I'm going look at you paying attention to your crew and this small thing that made your man happy as a pig and shit because mm-hmm. he had a cool new coat and now he's got two of them fucking loving life and I kind of like the fact that Grugger kept a note of that and he paid attention to that mm-hmm. And he never calls Brokodak an idiot or anything like that. Like, he, he no. doesn't, even though Brokodak clearly is. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Um, he's like, hey, if you want to get out of here, are you going to close the door? And you go, oh, shit, yeah. Mm. Like, there's never, he's never cruel to his crew, which as like a sort of pirate captain, yeah. you think he would be. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire Grugger, Brokodak and their crew is an entire waste of script. Mm-hmm. You could have cut them from the entire thing. It would have been fine. They wasted valuable time that could have been spent developing the Tegelian characters. But, like I said, Grugger did have his odd moment or two of, no, no. Here you go, Brotovec. Go be happy. Yeah, like, Grugger is that he's just he's just the smartest one in the bunch. That's about it. Mm. Our, and if he's not the smartest one, he's able to bullshit the best. Because when Romana says, oh, the anti-clockwise rotation, yes, ha-ha, very funny, I fell for it. But next, what does that mean? He goes, oh, reverse clock turning. You know, just like just to sound fucking smart. Mm. Um, the one interesting thing about Brotodak, right, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a hill that I'm probably going to fucking plant my flag and die on, you know? It's coming from John Nathan Turner's mission statement of I want to get away from the comedy, you know, the silly scripts. And it's like, okay, and Christopher Bymead said the exact same thing. Mm. Brotodak. Where the fuck did Brotodak come Yeah, from? exactly. He's a really, he's a huge discrepancy between that mission statement and like, you know, what we're seeing in the finished product. And this is the thing now, right? Is that last week we said that Bymead hadn't come on yet as script editor. Mm. And so, you know, there was, and John Nathan Turner was probably too busy fucking, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the producer now, I get to do all this type of stuff. But now that the script editor is there, and, cl- and he read the script because he said it clearly lands, there's gaps here that need to be filled out. Why did he let this pass if the mission statement is less silliness? Because Brotelek is nothing but a comic relief character. I will say one thing, all right? 
because as your friend, mm-hmm. you are getting into the Moffat era mentality of talking about the show a little bit. Nice. In that you seem to be finding any possible fucking excuse to oh, no. talk shit about John no, Nathan Turner. No, no, but no, see, this is the thing, right? Is that because <laughs> like, they're constantly bringing up that thing, yeah. right? But that's just whatever. Yeah. Um, but my thing with this is, and where where the reason why I'm challenging on it is small, there's a difference between less mm-hmm. and none. Mm. Less, little, and none. Yeah. You can have a bit of humor. Mm. And in this story, they just dumped all of that humor into one person. Mm. As opposed to spreading it evenly amongst the cast. Which I agree with you, does fly in the face of, we don't want it to be silly by having one person that's just their whole purpose is being silly. Mm -hmm. But I don't think based on that quote from last week, I don't think John Nathan Turner meant no humour. All right. He just wanted less of it. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. How the fuck does Bruce Dyke put into that? However, however, on my... Do you mean the thing about John Nathan Turner? I mentioned last week that he's a Marmite character. You can love him or hate him or tolerate him to an mm-hmm. extent. He did give us Colin Baker and he did give us Sylvester. So... I will. I will always back him on because he. I remember he fought, uh, like he fought like a hard fight for them. Mm. So like I will fucking back him on that one. <laughs> but it's just don't say something and then fly in the face of it. That was yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and then we have the big bad, the big bad spiky cactus. Yes, cactus man. I would say one thing. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate cacti. Yeah. My housemate has a number of little cacti things around the house. You've mm-hmm. seen them. Yeah. In the bathroom, I think. Yeah. And I was like... And I when have... I go to open and close windows, I tend to like poke myself on them. Mm-hmm. And they're fucking sting like a bitch. Yeah. I, ex- I We used to have a cactus uh, at home and I wasn't paying attention one day. I was looking out a window and my head fucking came into contact with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Megos, as a sentient giant cactus, we may reiterate your sentence from John Nathan Turner's mission statement. It's a big giant sentient cactus. But no, but see, this is no, this is a thing that I don't think, based on what we saw, his final form is. I think he latched on to the, the last living fucking thing on that planet, which was yes. the cactus. Yes, but the fact that he's presented right. yeah. initially as yeah, a big it. giant cactus. Because yeah. clearly at one point this fucker had hands. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, why does how did he design the console and why design it with switches? Mm-hmm. Um, Megalos as a character I think is really interesting. Mm. Um, but I think is not given enough room to breathe. No, um, absolutely. The not. idea that like the form that Megalos takes is dictated by his previous forms, so the cactus still coming out mm-hmm. if he's been in the form for too long. Um, but also the fact that like so he merges his essence in a way with the Earthling's body, 
Mm-hmm. But we see him projected on the Earthling in the form of the spiky face and the spiky hands. Mm-hmm. When he then changes to look like Tom, he's just changing the face. Mm-hmm. He is still that Earthling body underneath. And mm-hmm. I did find it really interesting that the Earthling can fight back. Yeah. And I think the effect they used for that was fucking brilliant. It's your man trying to tear himself out of mm-hmm. this facade of the Doctor, which I thought was very, very Oh, good. yeah. Best effect of the whole uh, story, I think. Yeah. And like I said, I really liked the Doctor versus Megalos in their scene together. With two of them? No. In saying that. The fact that Megalos didn't put a system in place where they could identify that he was Megalos and not the Doctor is stupid. The fact that he kept leaving Grugger and Brostak alone in the ship mm-hmm. is stupid. And the fact that he was captured by his own quote unquote, his own men and put in prison is stupid. His whole plan of use the dodecahedron to do what he wanted to do makes perfect sense. Even just the the fact that he gave Gurgur like, hey, you get to destroy a planet of your choice. Pick one. Here is my prize to you. Thank you for saving my life. Off you go. Hmm. Um, But I think too much time was spent on Gurgur and Brostak and the rest of them. Mm -hmm. That like we don't get. Here's what I wanted, right? I wanted a face-off, per se, between Megalos and Alexa, mm-hmm. where he's like, everything you believe is wrong. Yeah. We sent that rock ages ago mm-hmm. to gather energy for our purpose. And you, Diedrichs, and all these experiments you want to do, you're a worm when it comes. You call yourself savant. You're a moron. I would have loved to have seen Megalos versus Lexa primarily, mm-hmm. um, but then also targeting Diedrichs and Karis and Zastor as well, because they never actually interact with him as himself. Yeah. Bar, well, Karis does a bit, um, but she doesn't know that mm. um, for, for a lot of it. Um, so like that, I think, was missing. Mm-hmm. I think had we gotten that and gotten less of Grugger, or even have Grugger be on his own. Do you have him be like a Han Solo type? Mm-hmm. Do you by himself? He was hired to do the job, and he can serve to get Megalos from A to B. You don't even need to have him hire someone. Just have him be like a fucking intergalactic tomb robber, and he yeah. comes across Megalos, and Megalos goes, "Ha ha!" At last. Yeah, well, because well, he needs the Earthling. So, I just, I just think he needed a corporeal form. No, because specific, they specifically said, why the fuck should we have to bring this person from Earth? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, but again, but you, could have a dude that, you could just write that could, out. <laughs> yeah, you could write that out. You could have had him take over Brotodeck. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. Um, so I think with that perspective, I think Meg- I think it could have been great. As it stands, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I think... And good enough. I think definitely with the Lexiting, because it's like... Okay, with him mocking Diedrichs, it's like you're not as smart as you think you are. With Lexido, it's completely shattering the basis of her fate. 
So like, and then you can have the doctor and or Romana swoop in to mm-hmm. restore their faith in whatever. Yeah, do you know? Like whether it's the doctor saying to Diedrich, "Hey, look, your ideas were great. You're not there yet," and Romana saying to Lexa, "You know, who's to say that Ty didn't direct the Dodecahedron to here?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you needed it the most, yeah. Do you know? You know, God's work in mysterious ways and all that jazz. Yeah. Um, but that would have made it so much more interesting. No, absolutely. Um, and you could still have Lexa do her self sacrifice to save her man. But it would have been done out of this desperation of my life has lost all meaning, so I'll give it up for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when we rewrite these. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much fun. Like. Because we we get basically we get to put in like the arguments and like the story points that we love like we like we do kind of like the no we do we do like the whole putting like your know, faith versus science because mm. like one is necessarily going to beat the other and it's the arguments yeah. and the character interactions that they make it's fucking mm. brilliant um I think there's a small bit of potential confusion on this one because. Mm. Tom plays Meglos like an evil version of the Doctor rather mm. than an entity pretending to be masquerading as the Doctor. Like, when he, as you mentioned Brotak, you know, Brotak, you seem like a discerning fellow. Pick a planet. That seems like something the Doctor would say, or like Tom would mm. say, as opposed to Meglos, you know? Mm. Um, because this story reminds me of two previous stories. It's like a mishmash of the hand of fear and enemy of the world. Mm. You know? Yeah. And like we mentioned before, like that Patrick Chowden, he played the doctor as the doctor and Salamander as a completely different individual. Mm. Like there's no, he's just the darker version of the doctor or anything like that. That's what was missing here, I think. Like as the cactus version, like, you know, like the cacti doctor hybrid mm. he he's a like i like that's really well done but when he's as himself well like you know when tom isn't wearing the makeup and he's acting as meglas he's just being a evil version of the doctor mm. um but i think he like you know he is an interesting character and there's just there's this air of mystery around him and we'll get into it a while but it's like he's you know he's yeah, he's vastly intelligent. Really is. Um, he is. I don't know whether he's meant to have hypnotic abilities or if he's just like so entrancing. Because when Karis sees him, and he's got like he's gone back to Quillface, mm. like she's mesmerized by him, and like you can mm. see him trying to grasp onto that by like convincing him like you know you have to let me out you have to help me escape and it's almost like she's in a drunken haze like where she's like i kind of do but at the same time i know i shouldn't Mm. and like that's i think part of the character's mystique so Mm. like i think meglos is just another example of the amount of potential in this story that's completely unrealized Mm. i agree
So we have come to the overall section where myself and Trish will each give the story a score of five. So as you had led us into the character discussion, you get to give us your overall score first. Hmm. Okay. You said that this story in a way reminded you of Hand of Fear and Enemy of the World. Enemy of the World. This story reminded me of The Chase. We have a Doctor Doppelganger and a Killer Forest. But we don't have Look Behind You, Mr. Dracula. <laughs> no, we don't. Okay. Reminds me of yeah. the Mechanoid Planet. No, I, I know, I know. There we go. We'll be a bit more fucking specific. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually only thinking about Look Behind You, Mr. Dracula, last week. Um, Because we literally have two repeats of the same thing. Mm-hmm. We have the companion getting caught in a killer forest. I will say, I think the black and white version was more effective, personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have this doppelganger of the Doctor. Now, I think the doppelganger Doctor worked differently in the chase because he was interacting with our companions. We don't actually have Megalos Doctor interact with Romana at mm-hmm. any point. Yeah. Which I think is a miss. I think could you cut the fucking Grugger and Brotodak bits mm-hmm. and have Romana get into the city before the Doctor, have her find her way there first, and so she's interacting with this other version, I think it would have been way more interesting. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, so there's that. Um, and of course, it has Jackie in it. Um, for me, the story, like, like we got to the end, and I was like, is it over? Not in the sense of, oh my god, that was so good at Camp of It's Over, but in the sense of, like, I think it was, like, episode two, or maybe it was episode three. I was like, that felt like it was 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing happened. Like, nothing happened in this story. It takes so long for anything to happen. And it's all crammed into episode four. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you know, some courts, okay, so things I liked. Megalos is a concept. Mm-hmm. Tom's portrayal of Megalos. I'll talk a little bit in a second about the Dark Doctor, but um, Lexa, everything about her, and the concept of the people of Tajaros mm-hmm. and how they work. I think that's all great. Because it's actually a more advanced version of what we saw in Face of Evil. Yeah. Um, where they were, again, two separate things, but they were separate. They were These are people living together. I want to see more of that. Get rid of the fucking pirates, for love of God. They waste way too much time. Romana getting trapped in the jungle wasted loads of time. And it was just filler. The whole bit was filler. It didn't drive the plot in any fucking conceivable way. Mm-hmm. Other than to get Grugger to the city. And he could have just gone there on his own. It's been over an hour. I'm going to go find him. Um, Get rid of all that. Give our give our main characters time to grow and breathe like here's a suggestion don't fucking introduce Megalos at all until we see the doctor trapped and Romana trapped in the time loop and at the same time we see the doctor turning up at the door Mm -hmm. so we don't know what's happening how is he there and he's there as well I think give it suspense Mm-hmm. So we don't know that he's a doppelganger. Do you know? Um, I think that would have worked a lot better. 
um, have someone react to Lex's death for the love of Christ. Like, can you imagine you're filming the scene of Jackie just lying on the floor mm. and people just walking around her? I'm like, do something with it. In terms of a score, though, I'm really struggling because Jackie's performance was amazing. And what did I say last week? We were finishing last week. We were like, oh, next week we're going to I was like, don't be shit. Don't yeah. be shit. Don't be shit. Don't be shit. Mm-hmm. So it was like, Jackie just had it at a five. Because, I mean, like I said, I don't mean just to bang it. Her performance was amazing. Mm-hmm. She was fucking brilliant. She was fantastic. So Jackie's presence... It was all it, it was starting at a five and had points to lose. Yeah. And then I started fucking losing them. I'm like, holy shit, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> uh, we we made the same joke for the three doctors, you know, it had built it, so it started off as a five. <laughs> I had the thing of like I don't want like there's bits of the story I like. Mm. I like the concept. I like what cut the pirates. Mm. Cut the pirates, but the all mm. made more sense. Mm. I don't know. Why you're, I I've been going back and forth on this since last night, and I don't know. Okay. I'm torn. I'll give you. I'll give you an idea of where I am at. Okay. I am struggling to give a story that has that performance from Jackie less than a three. Hmm. On the other hand, the Doctor did nothing. Romana did nothing. The pirates went on for fucking ages. K nine did nothing, and it was over way too quickly, and it was really badly paced and was really poorly written. Which would put it down in the 2 to 2.5 range. I don't know. What did you give it? Okay. Actually, before, <laughs> I give my, before I give my score a question, what, what do you think of the concept of Meglos actually possessing the Doctor? For, like, so from the start, not as a sort of a body switch, but just from the start. That would have worked just, I mean, that would have worked well. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mind the doppelganger approach. Mm-hmm. I don't mind him being like a being a projection. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. in this context. Because he needed the earthling body to embody him, but then he can change to look at what like whoever he wants. That doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. A, a Meglos, in a way, the concept of Meglos, it reminds me of a, mo- a Denzel Washington movie called The Fallen. It's about this demon that uh, is like a serial killer, but it hops from person to person simply by touch. You know, yeah. and it's like at at I think at any given stage of the movie, you're like going, like is is he the demon? Is he actually talking to me? It it was from memory. It was really really good. I haven't seen it now in ages, so I have to give it a proper look see again. But I'm like you. I initially didn't know how to feel after I finished watching the story, and even after like I I had time last night, so I fucking rewatched it again. You know, speed rewatch. Mm. And I was like. It has this air of mystery about it. And I don't know whether that was always the intention or is it the air of mystery is simply there because of the bad writing. Like, we have no idea. We know that Meglos's people effectively destroyed themselves, like did an Eldred on it because they mm. didn't want him to have his big giant death laser that is essentially like star killer base when you when you fucking mm. look at it because the effect of like when it starts drawing this power oh wait everything goes dark um so it was like okay why did they do that because what is meglas's motivation 
because the doctor even asks at the end, like he says, what's this burning desire? He just says burning repeatedly. But I was like, is that a hint to, excuse me, is that a hint to a reason why Zolfa Thor is the way it is? Or is it because you can smell the door burning because K9 is coming true now? I think it was smelling the door burning. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's no motivation there. There's also, as I said, there's, I actually think Diedrix is a bigger waste than Grugger and the Pirates. Because, like, as I said, Diedrix's whole shtick could have been filled up by one extra just saying boo from the fucking background. Um, it's, but I think, is no, I, I completely agree. Like, Jack, like, Jack looked like she was having a great time with it. Whatever, mm. like, whatever her, you know, the anecdotes are, like, she gave it welly. Like, she really did. Mm. And she, by doing that, created the most interesting character in the story. And I'm kind of wondering now, is my score that I have, is it attributed to our discussion about it or the actual story itself? You know? Okay. One thing I will categorically say is that I enjoyed this more than I did The Leisure Hive. Yes, that's right. Even though more technically happens in The Leisure Hive, I enjoy this more. And I think it comes down to certain aspects of it, which is Jackie's performance, Tom's performance as the cactus Megalos, and the struggle between him and his human Mm. body. Because Tom gives this really haunting performance of an actual fucking parasite. Mm. And it's like when he's like fighting your... the effect that they did where he's like trying to rein the human body back in. It's great. It's brilliant. Um, so I think because of that, I've just split it right down the middle. I've given it a 2.5. Okay. I'm thinking about now. I never actually mentioned my, my thing about the evil doctor. Yeah. I didn't see it that way. I didn't see it as Megalos playing an evil version of the doctor. Um, I just saw it as him doing his best to impersonate the Doctor, but not knowing him very well. <laughs> hmm. So he can only do what he can do with it. Yeah. But, you know? but he knows he it's... He's, going back to Secret Invasion, he's not a scroll. He didn't get to scan his mind. Yeah. No, but it, <laughs> it just seems like that. Like when he's pretending to be the Doctor, he's like unsure and he's like using his intelligence to fucking think of excuses as to why he does something and doesn't do another thing, that kind of stuff. Mm. But it's when it's when it's when he's with the people that know that he's an imposter that he actually starts like acting like a dark version of Tom's doctor. Well, but that's who Megalus is anyway. Maybe, yeah. No, I didn't it didn't bother me as much. Oh, oh yeah. Um Okay. So we'll circle back around to me giving a score because I didn't I, I talked myself out of giving one. Um I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed watching it. Mainly for Jackie. Mm-hmm. And her character. But I enjoyed watching it. The bits I didn't like about it were whatever, but I was still enjoying myself. And I will watch it again. Yeah. But I'll be watching it for Jackie. So, as much as it pains me. Pains me. I'm going to go in the middle of where I was vaulting yeah. between. I was going to go with 2.75 because, yeah. oh, it hurts. 
it doesn't hurt because it was Jackie, which people probably like just get over it. Like, yeah. it hurts because it was such a good performance. Yeah, from her, mm-hmm. she deserves to be that character and that performance deserved to be in a stronger story. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And I can completely understand John Nathan Turner going, I don't know where the fuck to put this. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't that strong. And no offense to them, I can understand why those two lads didn't write any more episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot in there, mm. but like, no development. Do you know what this story kind of reminds you of? And it's another Star Trek episode. Mm. Where they find Scott, uh, where they find Scotty, relics, yeah, and like Scotty is like going to go, like, he's trying to fix things, but it's like it's it's a different ship, and he's just feeling lost in time, and like that that feels like you know kind of just based on Jackie's performance, it's like it's not the same anymore, that type of thing. Mm. It just reminds you of that, and Relics is a great episode. I really enjoyed Relics. Relics very good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so. That gives us a slightly stronger second story of season 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, our average is still low, though. Yeah. And we're both at 2.13 for the season. But like you said, we are now entering an interesting phase where the next three stories are an arc. Now, we will do them as three separate stories. We won't be doing this big, long thing. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm, I'm going to say it now, right? Because... I made a comment the other week. Yes. That Paul messaged me about afterwards, which is, I watched the story all in one go. And he asked if we were going to be doing that with Colin. Yeah, I... I, The answer, Paul, is no. (laughs) Yeah, no, he he messaged me as well. And I was like, nope. (laughs) I I do it all of a time time all in one go. I watch all of the episodes we're going to be discussing. Mm In one go. Just for clarification. Yeah. But yeah, so next week is going to be the kickoff of that eSpace trilogy. And Paddy, do you want to tell our listeners what episode kicks off with? Because I didn't look it up and I didn't write it down. I can never remember which one, if whether it's st- Full Circle or State of Decay. And I will now just confirm it. It is... It is Full Circle. Very good. Very good. So, till next week, guys. Bye. Bye.